Welcome to a special presentation of the MSD Community Podcast Series. This episode features parenting in the time of a pandemic with Dr. Michael Thompson and was originally held on Tuesday, November 17th via Zoom. Enjoy the episode. Um, It is my great pleasure to welcome you to MSD's first evening of three in this year's Distinguished Speaker Evenings. Uh, When I was working on my notes, I thought to myself that I didn't um, tell you, Michael, that you were part of the Distinguished Speaker Series. So surprise um, and welcome, and you are most deserving. Uh, This three-part series uh, will include another evening with Michael in January, uh, where he'll be talking about adolescence. So please don't fret. You will see him again after the holidays. We will also have an evening in February with Jefferson Burnett, who is NAIS's vice president, and he's going to be talking with us on future-proofing your child for the fourth industrial revolution. Um, If you are a MSD guest tonight, and there are many of you guys here, I would first like to say welcome. And you can find out more details about these events on our website soon. Uh, For you MSD parents, look for details in the B or on virtual campus. Um, This great, and dare I say again, distinguished speaker series has been made possible by a generous anonymous donors. So I would just like to say thank you, you. Now, uh, more about tonight. I have been a super fan of Michael Thompson's for some time. I looked through my conference notebooks and I have attended many, many workshops from at least 2010. That was the oldest notebook I could find this afternoon when I was quickly looking through in my office. Uh, Most of his workshops are filled past capacity. As the director of primary education at MSD, we watched his Raising Cane PBS series, uh, especially the one when he talked about boys and pretend play. I would like to say we are on the same pro-child development team. It was my pleasure to spend some extra time with him um, as an AMS board member some years ago when he was a keynote speaker at the AMS National Conference in Boston. And as a parent, I have referenced many of his books, most especially this one, It's a Boy, since I have two of them. Um, Here's my signed copy. Um, He wrote to Julie, loving mother of Max and Charlie, um, sometimes loving mothers generous. Um, What I will say about this book, now that my boys have aged out, is um, I suggest reading ahead. Sometimes I felt like I was a chapter too late and had read about what had happened and what I shouldn't have done um, that I did. So read ahead in that one. Most recently this summer, Michael and his colleague, uh, co-conspirator, I think in many ways, Dr. Rob Evans spent time with the ACS heads of school, tending and trying to steady us and make us all laugh together at this insane situation we all find ourselves in. In all of these situations, he's made me feel better about things. And I have zero doubt that he will do the same for each of you tonight. The format for the evening will be some remarks by, by Michael. Um, And then he has actually allocated the majority of his time to answering your questions. So very lucky us. The chat is open. Um, I will monitor along with Ann Hewitson, our director of elementary education. To keep things tidy in Zoom land, we will call on you and ask you to unmute yourself and ask your question in person, so to speak. There are many, many, many of you. So we might not get to all of you, but we will certainly try. So again, tonight, it is my great pleasure to introduce Dr. Michael Thompson, who is here to spend some time talking with us about parenting in a pandemic. Um, A little more about him. 
He started his career as a middle school teacher over 50 years ago. He specializes in children and families and has been the um, psychological consultant to the Belmont Hill School for the last 26 years. And he's the author of many books, um, including Raising Cain, as I mentioned, um, Best Friends, Worst Enemies, which I know many of us have read as well. He's worked with more than 700 schools in the U.S. and internationally, and now MSD is on that list too. And this, this part especially makes my heart go pitter-pat. He is also a Montessori parent and grandparent. That is true. So please That's join true. me in giving a Zoom welcome to Dr. Michael Thompson. Oh, Julie, that was lovely. Um, you have no idea how gratifying it is to an author to have somebody pick your book up and say it meant something to her in raising her sons. I mean, that's that's the whole point. That's the whole point of the exercise. <laughs> I, I really, uh, it, it, it's intensely gratifying. I appreciate it. Thank uh, you. Indeed. Um, but I do. I am the father of a daughter and the grandfather of two granddaughters, uh, so I have some skin in that game too. Uh, and 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 we'll talk about uh, answer questions about both boys and girls. But let me say just a little bit about parenting in the pandemic. Um, my calendar, travel calendar, is wiped clean uh, last March, somewhere around the 10th or 12th of March. Uh, I realized that my life was dramatically uh, changed, and I began to hear about myself as being in a high-risk category because I'm 73. Um, and uh, I wondered what I'd do and uh what, how I could be useful. And people began to call and say, do you do Zoom conferences? I had never heard of Zoom. And I said, uh, maybe, sure. Uh, and with Rob Evans, we began to do Zoom conferences. And I probably have done uh, 250 uh, Zoom um, meetings uh, in the last seven months um, for uh, four constituencies. Uh, mainly administrative teams uh, who were stressed out of their minds trying to keep their uh, 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 schools providing the services that parents needed, um, uh, asking their teachers to turn on a dime um, and uh, uh, teach online. Many teachers who uh, were never trained to do that, never want to do this. One head of a Waldorf school said to me, do you, do you know how hard it is to ask a Waldorf faculty to go online? I mean, they're, they're ideologically anti-technology uh, 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 even more uh, uh, than uh, a Montessori, but everybody knew it was the only way they could stay connected to kids. But it has been very stressful uh, for schools and administrators uh, and school leaders, which is why, as Julie said, we, my colleague Rob and I, tried to make them laugh, but it's it's a dark laughter. And then I have talked with a lot of parents, and I have some sense of what has worried parents, what was worrying parents in um, April and May. Uh, those worries have transformed as this has turned into a grueling ordeal um, uh, with no uh, a clear end in sight. Um, I, I've been sort of tracking uh, uh, the concerns of parents. Uh, the first, the first things are so obvious. I just, but I need to touch on them. Everybody who's on this call has had to think about their own life 
and deaths, uh, uh, concerns about whether COVID could uh, get them, could it get their aging parents, could uh, a child of theirs infect a grandparent. Um, it's a it's a concern my own grandchildren have had about their pop up. That's me. Um, what about a partner who's been through chemotherapy, or has a suppressed uh, immune system, or a child with suppressed immune system? I mean, uh, all of us are thinking about life and death, and doing everything else we've ever done, <laughs> and doing it from home with small children, um, and. Uh, uh, to say that it has been uh, uh, a tough time doesn't uh, uh, begin to capture it. I don't know how many people I've talked to have said, I'm taking it a day at a time. Uh, school leaders have said, I didn't sign up for this. I'm taking it a day at a time. Um, but the, the concerns for parents um, ha have uh, a couple, that parents have shared with me have been in three directions. One is, first of all, how do I suddenly manage um, my home and my work responsibilities with a child who has, uh, uh, and, and this was past the spring when everybody was remote, um, how, how do I supervise my child's learning? How do I come up to speed? Is this home? Is this homeschooling? Am I just monitoring? How do I get a small child to sit in front of a screen? And there are many parents who found this intensely frustrating. And there were many parents used to having a lot of control uh, over their home and their child's life who, who were intensely frustrated. I had a man in Los Angeles last spring who said to me, Dr. Thompson, just tell me, how do I get my third-year-old son to sit down and pay attention to his teacher on the screen the way he does when he's in class? That's all I'm asking. And I could tell he was frustrated and exasperated and feeling quite helpless. And I said, you can't possibly. You can't possibly. Um, third graders sit down because the other third graders are sitting down. And because the teacher's there in person and she's asking them and she is a warm embodied presence whom the children love and respect and fear a little bit. And when she looks into your third grade son's eyes, he sits down <laughs> and does what he's told. And you as the father standing exasperated behind him, trying to get him to relate to his child on the screen is not the same thing. So many parents, uh, 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 through uh, the spring ex ex expressed enormous frustration about the fact that their children didn't immediately accept them as teachers and that they lacked the authority uh, of teachers, but there they were trying to get their work done, trying to balance their business and, and their own vocation, whatever it was and uh, to supervise their child's learning. And everybody, everybody hoped uh, that they could open in, in person. Julie, I didn't ask you, did you have a summer session that you were able to conduct? We there did were... not do a summer session. We are trying to hoard our PPE um, equipment, but we have been in session for over 50 days that we're pretty excited about. So. Oh. 
hearing that. So, yes. Bravo. Bravo. And I've talked to Montessori schools. I've talked to five Montessori schools in Virginia. And some have been able to open, some not, depending on the local county and restrictions and, and other things. Everybody is yearning to have uh, their children in person uh, in school. And many Montessori schools have been able uh, uh, to do it because it's their mission. It's what the teachers crave. Um, uh, uh, the teachers longed for contact with kids and felt the children were ripped away from them. <laughs> there was a lot of grief last spring about the loss of the end of the year and the kind of connection which teachers and children enjoy and the loss of the traditions, whether it's with graduations or, or any kind of uh, uh, ceremonies and everybody hoped, everybody hoped to be in person. My school, uh, uh, my boys school in Belmont, Massachusetts opened up four days a week um, with boys taking only two courses at a time. We've been to a modular system. We're in pods. We don't have our sports and we are a huge, uh, uh, we're an athletic powerhouse and we don't have any of that. And, and on any given day, um, it can make you sad to be on the campus. At the same time, it can exhilarate you and make you feel like, we're, wow, we're doing it. We're, we're, we're having school even though it isn't the same, even though it's masked, even though it's socially distant, even though there isn't uh, the sports of the extracurriculars, we're, we're doing a bare bones school uh, uh, as well as we can. And then we get a case, we have to quarantine a boy and the boys who've been around him and we're frantic and we're nervous about that. And then we go on with school open. Have you had cases? Yes, we have. Col yeah. And like everybody else, Denver and Colorado are definitely on the rise. Yes, they are, as is Boston again. Yeah. Um, so we, we're all on this same uh, uh, a painful journey. And we're all doing our best. And we're all going a little crazy. <laughs> yes? Wave your hand if you are feeling a little crazy in the pandemic. Okay, that's honest. Um, uh, uh, and all of a sudden, I'm going to name the top three concerns, but Craig uh, and David uh, put one up, and I can tell it's about screen time. So the, the three things that parents are worried about more than any other are their children's mental health. Um, is my child going to be okay? Is this sequestering? Um, uh, with the family, the loss of school, uh, or now uh, a school with masks and social distancing, which is obviously not the same. Is this going to affect my child's mental health? Is my child going to be more depressed uh, and, and anxious? So the, the, the most questions I've gotten have been about children's emotional well-being. The Second uh, a question that I ha have gotten the most has been about children um, deprived of their social experience with other children. Uh, and that's not as acute for, for, for you because your children are a school that has 
been able to open up in person and stay open for 50 days uh, uh, in, in person and, and good for you. And the children are not touching and close in the way that they would like to be, but they are in each other's presence. And, and there's, um, Rob and I heard a story about a second grade girl um, who turned to her teacher the first morning and said, it's so great to be back in school. <laughs> and the teacher had been actually quite anxious about coming back into the classroom herself and frightened and worried about the implications for her own family because teachers have all been concerned about that as, as they should be. But she said that second grade girl sold her <laughs> that what she was doing was important. And I, I had another teacher, actually just a teacher in Atlanta this morning who said she'd never herself thought of herself as a first responder. But when she got back in the classroom and saw how important it was to the kids that she thought, well, maybe I am a first responder. And, and maybe I am doing work that is that important. But you should know that I've talked to a lot of teachers about their fears um, and, and, and talked to a, a lot of parents about their worries that if their children are kept from other children, that it will re result in some kind of arrested development or some social emotional learning loss, which might uh, take a long time to repair. I have answers for these three. Uh, and the last of the three, of course, is that everybody has relaxed their rules for screen time. The kids who are fully remote um, uh, may be on, on school all day on screen. And then if it's a middle schooler uh, relating to their friends, and I've had parents report that they have children on screens, not eight hours a day, I always ask the parent, how many hours a day are you on screens? And the parents say eight hours. But my, my daughter's on, my sixth grade daughter's on, seems like 10 hours or 12 hours a day. And I never intended for my child to be on screens that much. Um, will she be an addict? Will he be an addict? All he wants to do is, is play video games. And of course I need my children to be in front of screens uh, at times. So I, I, uh, I just let them. And then I feel like a terrible parent. And I don't know if their uh, brains are going to be destroyed. Now, it so happened, I was talking yesterday with uh, Michael Rich, who is a pediatrician, Harvard Medical School, and teaches uh, um, at Harvard Hospitals and is uh, has a website you can go to. It's called The Mediatrician, and he'll answer all the questions. So I, I just have been talking to uh, 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 an expert, and I ran some of my uh, uh, views by him. So let me take them in this in this order. Since I was talking to uh, the mediatrician um, uh, 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 yesterday, yeah, he, he and I agree that kids are not going to be, in general, they are not going to become addicted. Your children are not going to suddenly be addicted to screens. He has treated uh, a number of kids who, who really were um, addicted. And, um, uh, and it's a very small number. 
it's a very small number. And he said, for most uh, uh, children, um, these screens are necessary now because it's a central part of their learning. Uh, certainly for middle schoolers and high schools or high schoolers, it's uh, become a big part of my son is a, a first grade teacher at the Bank Street School in New York. And he taught two and a half months, he taught his first graders. Um, he squestered with his parents in Massachusetts and taught his first graders in New York. And it was heroic work, it was hard work, but it was the only way he could stay connected to the kids. And the kids were amazing uh, in the way they responded. It was a hard, uh, it's hard work for both parties. It's not just screen time. <laughs> it's really effortful time. And um, it's the only way that older children uh, can have a social life um, because you don't want them uh, 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 to be out and about in a social life. It's, uh, uh, it may not be safe for the family. It may not be safe for them. And it's harder for kids who are not supervised. It's harder to make sure that they uh, 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 continue to uh, follow the health protocols. My worries about screens are this, and, when, and, and, and we'll talk about it more. I expect some questions, but let me give you uh, what I, a preview of what I'm going to say. Is your child getting eight to 10 hours of sleep? Is there a time during the day when you have a family meal and nobody's on devices, not kids and not adults? If there's a family dinner, uh, and, and I know a lot of families have actually uh, found in the pandemic that they're having, they're cooking together more, talking together more, and having more family dinners. I wouldn't call anything a silver lining in this pandemic. Uh, that's that's uh, excessively cheerful. But uh, I have had uh, families tell me that they have really meaningful dinners. And I, I say, if your child is getting sleep and is doing well in school, and you've got uh, dinner time, then I'm not going to reproach you about the amount of time your children are on screens. And I don't want you to be reproaching yourself. You with That's me? Great. I'm wondering if you have other kind of, um, um, I don't wanna say absolutions to parents of things that, they're, that they worry about that they shouldn't be worried about besides screen time that you wanna to share tonight. To yeah, I, I think parents are tracking their children's anxiety and depression, and I've heard stories of more meltdowns and uh, more bad moods, and um, and I have heard uh, about anxiety uh, in kids. But uh, one anxious day or one angry day does not uh, constitute a mental illness, and a couple of meltdowns a week uh, does not constitute. Uh, a, a mental illness. Children are under stress and pressure. But the research that we have so far, and one mother wrote to me in a chat and said, Dr. Thompson, what are the detrimental effects of the pandemic going to be on children of different developmental ages? And I said, I wish I could answer your question, but this is my first pandemic. <laughs> and, and I don't have the research. And I don't know anybody who does have the research. We're all learning as we go here. But in general, what I hear from kids, and I interviewed kids this morning at the Atlanta International School, and I talked to kids yesterday. I've been 
uh, talking to kids through all of the uh, grades at, at that school. And the kids are doing pretty well for the most part. The majority of kids are resilient and adaptable. Small children only need two things. They need to be with the parents who love them and they need to be reassured that the parents who love them are doing the best they can to protect them. Okay, if you're doing those two things, your kids are largely gonna be all right. There are some fragile kids who had anxiety and depression before the pandemic. And uh, the pandemic has made some kids, for instance, who had a, a clinical levels of anxiety, maybe kids who had obsessional compulsive, obsessive compulsive uh, uh, symptoms before a pandemic with invisible virus, it, it, it can ramp a child like that up. But for the most part, what I have found is that kids have found a way to adapt. Um, siblings have gotten closer. I, I had an 18 year old senior at another boys school in Boston say to me last May, I said, so how's it been for you? And he said, you know, I'm getting along better with my parents and my younger sister than I ever thought I could. Well, of course, he was having a nightmare spring. He wasn't going to have a graduation. He wasn't seeing his friends. He wasn't having any of the delicious moments that seniors in high school look forward to. But he was philosophical and he was accepting. And he, he saw that um, it, 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 he, he had grown closer with his parents and his sister. And I don't think he would have called it a silver lining, but he was proud of it. And children have, of all ages uh, um, have found it in their siblings uh, a social um, resource. And that speaks to the, the, that third question. Has the social isolation, um, uh, has the social isolation um, been terrible? And somebody writes, Laurie writes about only children, so I'm gonna speak right to it. Um, only children, uh, as the European analysts used to describe uh, somebody's ground of existence. Uh, for an only child, the ground of existence is being doted upon by two loving adults. That, that's the only child's ground of existence, right from the get-go. They're used to being in a trio with two adults who absolutely adore them and more or less wait on them hand and foot. But they're also expected to be able to entertain themselves and to read and to play by themselves and uh, most only children are, are quite well equipped uh, uh, to, the, to do that. So in the last week, I had a, a talk with a seventh grade only child, and she said she was doing just fine. She was actually a little worried about her parents. Uh, she was worried about parents' anxiety. She said in all confidence, she, she thought her mother was kind of unraveling. <laughs> Don't interview my children, please. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked how what she was doing. How, what did she do with the alone time? And she said she was reading. She, she was reading an enormous amount. And I thought, well, good on you. That's the only child. And I said, do you have uh, friendships? And she said, yeah, I have two friends. And I said, are you seeing them online? She said, yes. And I said, do you have a brother or sister? And she said, well, I have an older brother. And I said, is he at all useful to you? And she said, yeah, sometimes, right? Um, he, he was a number of years older, but she didn't trash him. 
uh, it wasn't, he didn't get bad reviews. And I had the feeling that she was fine. I want to hear it. If you're worried about your only child, I want to hear these questions. So I've touched on screens. I've touched on social isolation and I've touched on mental health. And I, I just want to remind you, uh, we are in something like wartime conditions. And so we look back at the research in World War II, look at, look at the a much studied group that was the children in London during the terrible bombing of London in 1939 by the Third Reich, night after night after night, and hundreds and thousands of people killed. And many children were taken away from their parents and taken out to the country for their physical safety. And many others remained in their homes in London with their parents. And the children who had the best mental health, much studied after the war, the, the group that had the better mental health was the group that had stayed with their parents. Uh, the children who were physically separated but not able to see their parents and be reassured by their parents and worried about my, what, what might happen to their parents were more traumatized than the kids who lived through nights of bombing knowing that their parents were doing everything they could to keep them safe. Children don't expect us to miraculously make the world totally safe. Every child knows this is a big scary thing that we're all facing. They've looked in your faces, they've looked in the faces of other adults and they've heard the news and they know. Um, but if they are with you, they are, um, uh, uh, if they are with you, uh, that's, that's what they need. So I've got a bunch of questions. Anne, have you been reading them while I've been talking or Julie have been? Uh, I've seen there are a number about only children. I've, I've, I've seen that as they've gone by. How about Megan Rubenstein? Do you want to unmute yourself and um, ask Michael your questions? Hi. Sorry. I can start. Hi, Megan. Yeah. Um, sorry. Hi. <laughs> This is, it's my relaxing time. Are you in a dark, a dark cave of, of emotion? Then? <laughs> children. I, I, okay, I could see you, Megan. Go, go for it. Okay, I just, um, I'm a little, you know, I've been thinking a lot about. Um, I have one kiddo who I'm beginning to suspect may have a little bit of social anxiety. And that particular kiddo is at home online learning. Okay. And very comfortable with that. Okay. So my concern is just that this whole situation is an incubator, right? To make, to make it even worse. So I'm just kind of wondering. Was she or he shy before? No. And 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 uh, you want to tell me the gender be easier for me? I, I, should, I should say that she, she she's not she's shy in anything outside her comfort zone, which I think is fairly normal. So we'll call her cautious. Yeah, she and, is, and she's how, and she's how old? She's twelve. And is uh, is she uh, 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 evinced a lot of anxiety about the virus? She's not. Anxious about the virus? No. What I think but she's she's totally remote for a reason. Is there somebody in the family who's at risk? She doesn't go to MSD anymore. Actually, she's uh, this year was supposed to start a brand new middle school. Ah, uh, and, um, uh, and that middle school is totally remote now. 
Yes. So, and there has been like a, there was a get together like in September, I think. Well, yeah. And we went a socially distanced get together and we went and it was very uncomfortable and she refused to participate and stood off to the side and we left after 15 minutes because yeah. she was very anxious, sick to her stomach. Yeah. Um, and I'm just worried that when we do, when she does go back, like, how do I help her transition? Because I guarantee you, she won't sleep for a week. All right. And, I, 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 yeah. I have a couple of other questions. Um, yeah. Is she still in touch with friends from her old school? Yes. And she's with them online? Not not in her current school situation, no. But she's, she's, does she, no, not, she's not taking classes with them, but oh. is she doing some socializing with old friends? Yes. And do you hear her laughing with her friends? Yes. And she's comfortable with her old friends? Yes. All right. It's almost impossible to start a new school with remote learning and make friends. I've right. talked to a bunch of sixth graders and a bunch of ninth graders about this. It's brutal. And a lot of them are just settling in, waiting for this damn th pandemic to be over so that they can be with other kids and make friends slowly. Uh, uh, but to make a new friend in these little boxes and start conversing um, uh, in these little boxes to, with a kid you've never known before is really tough to do. And I, I know teachers are working at it very hard to introduce their kids to each other and uh, counselors are working uh, at, at, at it, um, but it isn't easy. And there are some kids who've just kind of, they're just, they're waiting or they're relying on old friends. And if she has old friends, Megan, I, I for 20 years consulted to international schools and many of these children moved every three years. I, I, I met an 11 year old once who'd been in 11 different schools, international schools. Uh, what, what the parents work was, I can't account for, but um, uh, there are kids who are able to wade into a new school situation. And there are kids who are cautious and it takes them three months, six months, or an entire year before they can feel comfortable in a, in a new one. And that is related to temperament and a kind of an innate sense of caution. So I am not, I think the obstacles to, to connecting socially in this new school are sufficiently high so that your cautious daughter um, is, uh, uh, she's, she's decided there are too many obstacles to try. But that doesn't say to me that this is a permanent harm or that she will never try uh, when the conditions are changed. It, 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 am I being too optimistic in the face of your worry? No, I just, of course, want to make it all perfect for her because yes. that's what I do. Yes, of <laughs> that's course. the kind of pressure I put on myself as a parent. Oh, of course. Um, of course. I, know, I ultimately know the answer is like, it'll happen when it happens and she'll be fine. And I just have to let her experience it. And, yeah. you know, but it's just um, seeing her like that was actually a little bit heartbreaking hard for me because she was very comfortable in the environment that she was right. in. So, and, so does she know, Megan, does she know you're worried about her? 
Um, we've talked about it a little bit. I've really tried to discuss the physiological reactions that she has so she can make that connection. And no, 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 no. I want you to say, I'm worried that you're lonely. Yes, we have talked about that. And what does she say? She's fine. <laughs> Do you believe her? Um, to a certain degree, but you know, recently she did say, I need to see one of my friends this ah. weekend. And so that made me feel better that she asked for what she needed yeah, when yeah. she needed it. Yeah. Good. So Good for her. Made me feel better. Good for her. I hope you could trust her family's sequestering and health practices so that they, that can happen. Well, we did have like an outdoor thing that we did that weekend, so. Well done. She asked, you did it. This is a good story to me, Megan. <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, you cannot make this right. Yeah. For, uh, it's a, just a brutal situation for maybe a cautious kid, but I'm not hearing a story of, of, uh, of clinical anxiety. I'm not. Yeah. Well, thank you. So I'm hearing a story about, uh... of mother's worry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Um, um, Jillian, why don't you unmute yourself, a fellow? So Jillian is one of our MSD middle school teachers. So middle All school right. teacher to middle school teacher. Jillian, it's your Please. turn. Hey, everyone. I'm actually cooking dinner as I do this, but I'm okay, Jillian. Um, and yeah, my question, actually, my partner asked the question, so I'm going to let her ask the question. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, my question was what your insight is on dual household or, or multiple household uh, families during the pandemic, the effect on both the kids and the adults, um, if they need to move around different homes, if those homes have different rules or opinions on what is happening. Um, specifically, I guess I'm wondering about the kid, but any insight, great. But, but uh, I, a kid... Kids have been coping for years with um, a, a two-family households uh, because not all relationships work out, not all uh, marriages work out, and, and kids move back and forth between households, and they find it annoying, and they wish they didn't have to do it, and they don't, they find it sometimes hard to keep track of their stuff, but um, if the adults in both households can agree on the most important things having to do with safety and sleep and academics and and, and have some uh, a notion of uh, 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 routine for kids because kids need routine um, they can negotiate they, they can negotiate these things and they do negotiate the things do you I didn't get your name but have you found do you think the pandemic exacerbates uh, the ordinary problems of 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 moving of a child moving between two houses. Sure, and my name is Carly. Um, Hi, Carly. I, yeah, I will. I pers I don't have any children, um, and but I work with students in another school. Yeah. And a lot of them have parents who are separated, and what I hear working with them is that it, if they go to one parent's house there might be different values or different precautions being yep. taken. And yep. it, they don't know like who to listen to or, or 
what to share with one parent or feeling guilty about it. Yep. Now there's always a little conflict when uh, the, the parents they love uh, are, are separated and they have a, a somewhat um, a, a different rules. Uh, but they do learn to negotiate it in time and they tend over time uh, to pay attention to the more responsible parent. Mm. Uh, and uh, they're annoyed about the, the restrictions of the more responsible parent, but they tend to feel safer with the more responsible parent. Right. Um, so, so, but generally they don't tell every, each parent everything that goes on at the other household. That's yeah. that by, by middle elementary school, they're, they're not telling tales. Mm-hmm from one house to the other. And look, there's some kids who really suffer. I, I don't mean to minimize. There may be 10 to 15% of kids who find this un, almost unbearable, almost unbearable. And I've had kids who've been in shared custody situations that by 13 or 14, they say, not doing it anymore, not doing it. Yeah. And it's enormously hurtful for one parent if they choose the other, but the, the kid has had it. Uh, uh, with with shared custody and the the conflict and the ambiguity and and all of that stuff, but most kids like seeing uh, both of their parents and are able to adjust to um, uh, uh, two different uh, routines as long as one doesn't dramatically undermine the other parent. Right. The, the thing is always if one parent runs down the other. That, that's a nightmare for kids. Yeah. That's a, that's, it's a, and parents uh, separated and divorced parents shouldn't do that. They must not do that. It's bad, bad for kids. Right. Okay, Carly. I'm going to move on from that. Yep. On the to-do list. Um, Annie has um, got a question about play dates. So. Yep. <laughs> Annie, play dates. Hi, how's it going? Good. With play dates, with masks, or without? How old are the children? So I have uh, three kids. I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old um, and a two-year-old. And okay. um, they're not in Montessori school. We got the email from a school psychologist um, okay. who uh, highly recommended this lecture. So I'm crashing your... Uh, your lecture a little bit. I hope that's okay. I think um, it's fine that you, the public, was invited. Yep. Okay. Um, so, we we live on a small cul-de-sac, um, and we have a neighbor who is um, remote learning and bored. And at our house, like every five minutes, she wants to play. Um, our kids are at a private school, and they go to school with masks. And we just found out that they need to. Um, closed down for a couple of weeks because one of the staff members um, had to be shut down. My husband and I are both frontline workers. We're very rigorous about physical distancing. Everybody in our community wants to play. We want to isolate because we know how serious this is and we we know how important socialization is and we want, we're just, we don't, we don't want to unnecessarily play. We think school is important, but more than that, we don't, we don't, we don't want to play, but we also just don't feel bad having to say no all the time. Yes. So, and have you talked to this child? This child comes over to your house and wants to play, and you have to say no and send the child away. 
like five times a day. And how um, old the child? Huh? How old is the child who comes over? She's in third grade. And so he's nine. Uh, she is nine. She is nine. And we've spoken, we've spoken to the parents and, yeah. you know, it's just this, it, it's, it's a hard situation because there's other kids on the cul-de-sac, but it's, it's, it's just, it's not just this one child. It's, every, it's everybody in our community is in denial that this is a serious disease. And it's just, it's, if it's not this child, there's other people who just want to play. Okay. And All right. So you're going to be the strictest people <laughs> in the neighborhood and um, you will be known for that. And your kids will be at times annoyed that they've got the strictest parents. Uh, but what I'm concerned about is why this nine-year-old, have you not been as clear and as tough as you need to be? Have you not said to her, this is not going to happen? What the issue is that we live in between two other kids who are always playing and my kids see and they're jealous. And when I want oh. to get fresh air and oh. have my kids play on their bikes or in their back in our backyard, okay. they see other socialization. It's just an impossible, painful situation for them to see other kids playing. Well, why can't we play? And so I, you know, yeah. then our rule has been, well, you can play with a mask and you have to be six feet apart. And then I'm the mask police and the six feet police. And yep. The, yep. it's, and then yep. winter is it's winter is coming, and then we're not going to be able to play outside. And now it's dark at four o'clock, and it's and and if I'm working, then I'm the only person who cares that there's a mask and that in, enforces the mask. And if I'm not the, if I'm not here, I'm and somebody else is in charge. Well, the mask. Is let, let me let me stop you. You're not worried about. <laughs> I was thought you were worried about hurting the the third grade girl's feelings who comes over. I but am. It, That's part of it. it. All right, well, you need to do that. You need to say to her parents, I am sorry, I don't want to keep hurting her feelings, but the answer is going to be no. Uh, because this is these are our health practices and that bottom line, we can't do it. And then you have to say to your children, um, I understand why you wish you could be out playing with kids who don't have masks on and we can't allow it. And uh, uh, there and you have to explain it in it with your best uh, 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 medical explanation appropriate to their age. The two-year-old, <laughs> it's the two-year-olds, not part of any uh, reasonable conversation, but your older children are. And this is hard. This is I, I can't soften this for your kids. Um, you either have to organize the neighborhood to follow your practices or you have to sequester your children and it's more likely to be the latter and they're going to not appreciate it, you for it now um, and they are going to be upset with you uh, at times when they see other children playing without masks. But, but if they are with, but do, if does that mean we stay inside or does that mean we walk, like when they walk out, like, does it, have, it just. I, I, they, would do, I would put your kids in, drive them in a car and, 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 and go, uh, go somewhere where you can play in the out of doors until the snow comes. And, and I would say you, you can't let them play in the neighborhood with kids who don't have masks. Bottom line. Okay. You, you just can't. 
and just I mean, enforce the mask thing and not let okay just be really strict and i i i don't your your ch uh, children don't die of having strict parents right no i agree i, I now, they need you to if you believe this if these are your values and these are your practices you have to stick with them okay i i, I it, otherwise you'll feel that you've compromised yourself that you sold your values down the river and what happens if somebody gets sick right. and you have regrets uh, 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 forever. I mean, and, and what happens if one of your kids gets sick and gets, uh, do you have aging grandparents? Are there people, uh, are there vulnerable people down the line in your family? Well, no, because they're all far away, but yeah, I, no, I agree. Listen, we're, yeah. yeah, it's, this is not, you know, there's not a lot of middle ground here. There's not not a lot of middle ground. I, I just worry so much about their about the social, the social isolation. Uh, your two older ones are how old? Uh, how seven and five? Are they playing with each other? They have a love hate relationship. There's uh, a lot they? of you know you the the angst that you mentioned earlier with the meltdowns. The older one is having a really hard time um, okay. with the pandemic. Uh, are, if you took a stopwatch and timed the positive, neutral, uh, positive and neutral time on one side of the ledger and the conflict and the irritability and fighting on the other, would the ratio be five to one? Positive and neutral playing time, positive playing time and neutral time to irritability and fighting? Um. I want you to clock it in your mind. I want you to watch it. My guess is it's five to one. But the, the, for the parent, the, the, the fighting and the conflict uh, uh, troubles the parent a lot. And so it sticks out. But I want you to track it. it, it I mean, literally look at your watch and track mm -hmm. it. Okay. Uh, we, we often overlook the good times and overfocus on the conflictual times. Okay. The two-year-old is a sweet little barbarian uh, who needs management of my adults. Uh, so I, but he's two or she's two. Yeah. I love sweet barbarians so much. They're some of my favorite people on our campus. They are, but they're, but they're, <laughs> they're little, the barbarians. Best. They're um, little barbarians. They're the best. Lisa Kirscher, you've got a question that I think applies Please. to lots of us in some different kinds of ways. So yeah. do you mind? Yes. Thanks, Annie. Not at all. Hi, Michael. It's so nice to meet you. I nice to like meet you, Lisa. I've heard you talk before, and it's a real honor. Um, I guess my question really is, what advice do you have for parents dealing with kids missing out on big milestones like graduations, et cetera? I have a freshman in college and a sophomore in high school and an eighth grader at MSD. Um, so I'm just... Curious. Your freshman in college missed a graduation last spring. He missed a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so, he's, he's actually home this fall. So that's a whole okay. nother. <laughs> so he's missing fall of freshman year. Yeah. yeah. With his parents that yeah. nobody wanted this. It's anti, it's unnatural and anti developmental. <laughs> Boys love living in their basements with their mothers. I completely. Yeah. Yeah. No, right. <laughs> so so every 19 year old wants to live in their mother's basement. Lisa, I talked last year to a senior class at a boys' school in Boston, not mine, not my boys' school, but it's actually the more academically rigorous, uh, but not as good as us athletically boys' school. 
a, a wonderful school. And I was talking to 54 boys in the senior class and their mothers were heartbroken that they weren't going to get a graduation and the parents were rending their garments and it was sad, 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 sad. And the school was striving to put something together, a virtual or a drive-through or something that would, would attend to the, uh, would in some way compensate for the loss. And, and the parents were genuinely heartbroken. And I talked to the boys. I, I incidentally talked, I don't call uh, uh, boys young men until they've graduated from high school. So these were 18 year old, 17 year old and 18 year old boys to me. And one boy, uh, I said, you know, your parents are very upset about the loss of graduation. How hard is the loss of graduation hit you? And he said, well, you know, it's, it, it's a loss. It's a loss, but you know, this is our story. Mm -hmm. When we get together in five years and we get together in 10 years, this is our story. Mm -hmm. And these are the stories we're going to tell about the pandemic. And I thought, well, good for you. <laughs> because he was owning his life. He was owning, he was incorporating this pandemic and its sacrifices and its losses into his life. And he was speaking for him and his friends and saying, this is our story. And I thought, your parents aren't seeing that in you, but it's coming across as clear as a bell to me that you're okay, you'll find a way through it, and it, you'll acknowledge the loss, but you also have a story. You know, I, I've been thrown back on my, uh, my parents' generation. My father fought in World War II, as did all of my uncles. My father uh, accelerated his college and finished in three years and went overseas and fought in France and was in the Army of Occupation in Germany. And, you know, my brother was conceived sort of the night before he went to fight in France. And I'm thinking about the fact that I was raised by people, many of whose lives were interrupted by war. Mm. And they all had stories of lives interrupted and romances interrupted and marriages rushed and babies made at the last minute, right? I, I heard all of those stories from the greatest generation. And we wouldn't wish those stories on our kids, but they're gonna have those stories mm -hmm. uh, of the pandemic. And, and, and they're going to, be, and for the most part, they're gonna be intact. Thank you. That's a really beautiful perspective. I, I appreciate it very, very much. You're very so how about, um, Joy, you've got a question that I think is really applicable and we're about, we've got about 30 minutes left. So, all right, your turn, Joy, you're on camera and everything. You're ready to go. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to hand this actually Alan's question. So. Oh, all right. <laughs> Sorry. No, he's ready to go for it. All right, Alan. <laughs> Hey, Michael, how are you? I'm good. It was just a quick question because I think that most of us, you know, have start dates and end dates for things. And when we all go through tough times, there's always an end in sight. Yes. And I think this is very different. And 
trying to explain it to the kids is very difficult that this is not forever because they don't understand what's going on. So I find myself every week saying, this is not forever, you know, this is not forever, but I don't know when it's going to end either. So I just don't know how, do you have any approach to, I don't know, make them feel more comfortable when this could possibly end, if you know what I mean. How old are your children, Alan? They are nine and seven, two girls. Yes. And, and, and is that a Scots accent? No, it's Irish. You're close enough. Oh, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't. Okay. Have, I, should have, I should have just asked. I knew it was a. All right. Sorry. Sorry about that. You don't oh, want to. Fine. No. Fine. All right. Um. So, uh, your your children, boys or girls? Two girls. Two girls. So what you say is, and this is important in many conversations. So this is everybody. Listen up to this. Um. Ellen, it's very clear to me you wish you could give them in the end date, right? Mm -hmm. So tell them you wish you could give them the end date. I wish I could tell you when this is going to end. I wish I knew when it's going to end. Your girls understand wishes. All children understand wishes. And they will, when you tell them you wish for something for them, they appreciate it because they get the whole wish thing, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. And and you do wish you could give them an end date. I wish you could give me an end date, right? Absolutely. But if you, if you say, I wish I could give you an end date, but it's not gonna be by Christmas. And Anthony Fauci says, maybe April, the vaccine will be widely available, maybe. Uh, and what you can tell them, with some confidence is that there is going to be an end date. Uh, our, our best scientists are saying, this isn't a forever thing, but, uh, but this is a, a grueling ordeal. And if you acknowledge the truth of that, you express your wish and you say, and maybe some things will make it sooner, sweetie. Maybe some, maybe, maybe, It'll be sooner than we think. But meanwhile, as a family, we're going to have to settle down and try and do the best we can. And yeah. they, will, they, will, they will get it that you, you've acknowledged their sacrifice, you acknowledge their impatience, you admit to your own, and, and you would change the world for them. They know that, if you could. Mm-hmm. It, will that work, do you think? Yeah, that's great, Michael. Thank you, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right, Annie Atlas, how about a question about boys since we've talked about his, his street cred on boys. So <laughs> your turn. Yes, I um, I have a three and a half year old boy who I've been told that boys have like the most testosterone when they're three. At least someone told me that. I don't know if that's fact. You can clarify. Um, and, you know, playgrounds or swimming or sports or play dates all that stuff is so helpful and yes. i can't really give him that now i want to but i don't feel safe if we if i'm at the playground and there's kids aren't in masks um so he's just taking it out and misbehaving um at least that's my opinion so i was just wondering if you had any suggestions for those those boys or those those kids with that ha- need to get that extra energy out and um, are, are, are instead just 
kind of being wild or I'm worried he's like addicted to screens, even though he's three. Um, so that's my personal story. I don't know if anyone and, else and has. Is, he, is, this an only child? is your boy an only child? No, he has an older sister and they're in the is same class. Right. How old is she? She's five. Hey, and uh, uh, she, she, right does now. she regard him as a dangerous <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, did, Nala, come. Uh, uh, did she regard him as a, 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 an annoying little barbarian and not very entertaining? The dog is. Um, oh, no, so the, she. How does the sister feel about her? her they're her they're great. They're great friends. Okay. Does she wrestle him? Um. She does not wrestle with him because that's like, I can't leave them alone together for five minutes because they'll start being too violent and like hurting each other. No, they, um, they, they, no, 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 no. All right, now listen to me. Listen to me. Um, uh, is, is, is he hurting her? You can just give me a thumbs up. Is he hurting her or is she hurting him? It's both. Um, um, but it's and, mostly and instigated because he you know, wants to be rough, but yeah, she'll find Three and a half year old boys are, I have a, 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 a grandson just turned four and, and he, he's a, he's a, he's a little barbarian. He's a little instigator. Mm -hmm. and he, he's always, but can she handle herself with him? <laughs> I mean, she'll try and, he gets like, he gets un, unreasonable. Like if, if we want to like play rough, cause I've, I think I even heard you say this, that like, it's good to play rough with, yes, it is. with you know, young boys. And so we'll get down and we'll kind of wrestle with him or, good. you know, good. do that kind of stuff. But um, once he gets started, he like, doesn't know how to stop. We're having a hard time stopping the roughness. Yeah. And does it always end in tears on his part? Uh, no, it's tears on one of their parts, maybe, or on our part, because we're just like, stop hitting us. We're not playing anymore, you know? All right. No, he can't hit you. That's, <laughs> you, you take a three and a half year old's arms and you pin them firmly to his side. So you can't hit us, can't hit us in the face. Right. Uh, no hitting. Uh, but we can wrestle for fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and is this something uh, that is that you like to do? Does his dad like to do this? Is there? Yeah, is there... I, I mean, we just want to do whatever is good for him. We no, want him this to is feel... excellent for him. This is yeah. what I'm prescribing. Okay. But um, I don't want you to constantly intervene between he and his sister. If if they in fact are not hurting each other, any one of my most commonly asked questions is, what do I do about my uh, uh, kids who fight all the time. It's typically, I'm asking, it's a nine-year-old boy and a seven-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. And I always say, is the nine-year-old uh, so much larger uh, that it isn't a fair fight? No, they're fairly evenly matched. Does the seven-year-old start something? Uh, yes. Does the seven-year-old instigate knowing what's likely to happen? Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. And I say, all right, have you had any broken teeth? No. Any stitches? No. Uh, any broken bones? No, I say they're good to go. <laughs> My son no. has had stitches, but not fighting. So I just get so nervous. <laughs> like, I know. You, you know, that they to get be... too rough and then they fall on something. Or, you, no, know. you have to be less nervous. Okay. You have to be less nervous. You're, you're, you're out there thinking catastrophically. Um, mm -hmm. And you're imagining what might happen. And I want you to watch what has happened. 
Mm-hmm. And the truth is they have not hurt each other seriously. Mm-hmm. And, but so, but if they do, if someone is crying, you know, then you go and intervene or. or... No, 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 not all the time. Uh, sometimes you, no, he's just on the cusp at three and a half. He's uh-huh. just on the cusp. Um, you, you can leave the room and wish them the best. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. I know, I know. <laughs> but uh, three and a half is just, I wouldn't say this just about a two and a half or a three-year-old. Three and a mm-hmm. half is just on the cusp. But uh, you can say, you can look at them both and wish them the best and say, um, come get me if you need me. And, and, and try and treat each other uh, reasonably well and leave the room. Uh, you do not need to monitor their fighting. They, they, they have to develop a set of skills, which is how to play together, how to annoy each other, how to have conflict and how to resolve it without killing each other. These are really important life skills. And they are why we were sent brothers and sisters. Were you raised with brothers and sisters? Yeah, yeah, an older uh, brother. Older brother? How much older? Three years. Oh, he 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 always had a, 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 a such a weight advantage on you. Did you ever <laughs> yeah. instigate with him? What was that? Did you ever instigate with him? Oh, I don't remember. He yeah, I don't I don't but really. He, but remember. he didn't pin you. He didn't ever pin you to the floor. No, he would just do that with my dad. I think. I, I mean, oh, I just okay. think they kept it to that and if he was with me he just didn't want to play with me because I was a girl you know but I love that my kids want to play together yeah I I do too and I want you to let them play more freely together Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, get the 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 expensive Ming vases out of the room Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, get the fine furniture out of the room and, and and let it rip They've got some more months and they're and they're they need the to expend the energy they need the exercise I would, I would make a room that's more or less safe for some rough and tumble play. At my house, my husband would scream, let's get ready to rumble. And the kids would start screaming. And every once in a while, we'd have a broken lamp. Um, yeah. But everyone survived. And it was kind of the nighttime sweaty ritual. But as the mother, I hated it. Yeah. And- Totally needed it. So um, I've got a question from Shilpa. I'm sorry you asked for, uh, typed in earlier. So you're still here and can ask your question about dual roles, which is hard. Hi, Michael. I'm Shilpa. Um, Hi, I have Shilpa. a four-year-old um, yeah. at MSD. I know back in March, um, it was really hard when we when we all went virtual. Yeah. Um, I thought she did really great. She was sitting through her Zoom classes, like, you know, every day. Um, but I found that as we got through the months, it was a little bit harder to get her to sit through those. And I just felt like I was, I mean, my husband and I both work full time. Yep. Um, and it just felt like I was constantly enforcing, you have yep. to sit through this. You can't do this. You have to eat dinner. It, it was just, it was constant. Yep. And assuming we go virtual again, do you have any advice on kind of having to help be a teacher, so to speak? I mean, she's so young that I can't really just let her sit in front of a, a Zoom without any guidance. Um, no, I, no you, know, you can't. So- but but uh, you need to give the teacher accurate feedback on what your daughter's tolerance is for sitting in front of Zoom. Um, yeah, I mean, she would sit through a 30-minute, 45-minute Zoom, wouldn't move. I mean, she was great. But I felt fantastic. like it was affecting us like later in the day because I felt like it was just, you know, we were getting these packets from school and I was trying to get through those. And 
you know, I mean, looking back on it, you kind of know, okay, if we don't get through the color wheel one day, it's, it's going to be fine. But yeah. as you're, you start to feel that anxiety, like when are they oh, going to go back? I what know, if she's not learning what she schooling. should be? I'm the home right? teacher. If I don't do it, my child's going to fall behind. There, there, you know, some of that packet needs, Shilpa, to get thrown over your shoulder some days. Yes. <laughs> and, and you write a little, you know, or you contact the teacher and say, we just couldn't do it. And she will understand. She will yeah. understand. Um, yep. The problem for teachers is if there are so many perfectionistic parents uh, 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 driving their children through all this work, the teachers don't know what's a realistic amount of work to give. Um, uh, you, you, you have to, you do, you have a role in assessing how, what your daughter can do, and she had amazing powers if it uh, early four, she could sit to a 30, 35 minute class. Good for her. Um, but she can't sustain that all day. And right. I need you not to be worried about her learning loss or her falling behind, which is generally what uh, conscientious parents, the kind of the trap they get into. Uh, so you need to hear from the teacher how your daughter's doing, how the teacher sees how she's doing. And then you say to the teacher, but you know, um, she, she can't sustain that focus uh, of she, all day. And if she can't sustain the focus, we don't want to be in the position of having to, to insist that she do all of these worksheets. So some days I'm going to give her a break if it seems unbearable to her and therefore unbearable to me and get, right. the, get the teacher's blessing for that. Yeah, I think I think my question was more also um, maybe not advice for our kids as much as for the parents <laughs> on this call who um, are kind of taking on these dual, dual roles that we never thought we would. Oh, um, it's just really difficult some days to, you know, feel like you've got to like get through a class, got to get through work, you know, and, you, you know, you're you're saying like, hey, don't make noise while I'm on a call. Here's your snack. Like, I can't talk right now. I got yep, this email yep. out. Yep. Um, and then th then you go into being a parent in the evening, right? So it's like, you got to get through dinner. Maybe you want to take them to the park. It's just, right. it's pretty constant. Do you have any advice for us parents who are trying, you know, assuming we go virtual again, like, I think it all happened so suddenly last time that we all just kind of were going with the flow. Nobody really knew. I mean, yeah, I shouldn't speak for everybody. I didn't know what I was doing, but if it <laughs> happens again, I'd love to have some sort of like, it, it, you know, maybe it's just, you know, stay calm and keep going. I don't know. But if, do you have any advice on navigating those, like those roles throughout the day? And, you know, maybe, well, I, I, I don't know. But I, have I think to it's hard do, for the kids too. I have to acknowledge it's really hard. Everybody has struggled with it and everybody has felt inadequate. And, and every conscientious parent has suffered. What you need to do is have, uh, do you know the three pillars of, of, of Dutch parenting? For a hundred years, there are three. I don't know the words in Dutch. They all start with R, but they they mean rest, routine, and cleanliness. The Dutch have some of the happiest children in the world. Uh, they also have the Dutch are now the tallest people in the world, and the reason is they sleep. Their babies sleep. Their elementary school children sleep. Uh, the Dutch are all about uh, sleep, and their kids get a lot of rest. Um, 
that rest, routine, and cleanliness, I would have, if you'd asked me a year ago, I would have substituted recreation for cleanliness because I would have taken cleanliness for granted. But of course, now with hand sanitizing and everything else, cleanliness is back right in the forefront. So the Dutch are, the, the Dutch are on it. What you need is a, a some routines in the day that allow for breaks and play and you need a space where your daughter can play when she's not in class and she can play safely where you don't have to, where you can also work. Uh, so whether, I don't know what the arrangement of your house is, but if there's a place where uh, she can play and she has to be able to play the things that will be enjoyable for her. Um, and uh, you have to, that's where the routine there's work and there's play and there's work and there's play and there's lunch and there's work and there's play and there's dinner with the family and then there's play and then there's a lot of sleep. And that's all you can do. There, there's, no, uh, there's no perfectionistic parenting in this pandemic. It doesn't exist. Nobody's done it. And, and we don't know how to do it. So I have to introduce you to a concept from a wonderful English pediatrician who became a psychoanalyst and actually did a parenting show on the BBC in the 60s. It was all put in a book. Uh, and his name was Donald W. Winnicott. And he had, his writings had a profound influence on me. I'm doing what I'm doing right now because of Donald W. Winnicott. And he had a concept, which I want to introduce you to, all of you to. And it, it, the concept he invented, and it's called the good enough parent. What do you think, Shilpa? Um, honestly, it's like, it, it, that makes me nervous. Like, good enough? Am I doing good enough? I don't know. Okay. The good enough parent I think is the not... perfectionist parent that you kind of said. I don't know the, char the characteristics of that, but I feel like even just that title, I probably put a lot of, I, probably most parents, we all put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And yes, this has not, what, this pandemic has see. not helped. I, I'm seeing a lot of self-reproach and self-criticism and worry in parents. And I want you to, where you're mostly available most of the time, and you mostly get things done most of the time, and your kids get rest, and they have a routine, and uh, they have play in their lives. Uh, as a child therapist, I know the children who are in trouble are children who cannot play that they're so anxious or so sad that they can't play. And that's, I was taught to do play therapy with children and to understand, but I was taught you, you, you know it's time to stop therapy when the child is able to play freely. And is your four-year-old able to play? Oh yeah. And play happily? Yes. And she also can focus on a screen and her teacher? Yes. You're a good enough parent. Thank you. Okay, I will check out that. Can you tell me the name of the author again? Yeah, it's Donald W. Winnicott. And if you can find it, it'll be in the library. There's a book called, he wrote a book called The Child, the Family, and the Outside World. Okay. And I think it's profoundly wise. It was BBC parenting lectures. Um, but uh, if you just go online and put Winnicott, the good enough parent, he'll give you a definite, you'll get a definition of it. All right. It's, okay. it's it a out. profoundly helpful concept in parenting, the good enough parent. So, Micah, do you want to take one more question? Sure, it's about sure. 20. Okay. Thank so, um, Beth Casey, you are up. 
All right. Uh, somebody's going to ask me a yes. question, but I'm, I'm just going to finish uh, uh, reading um, yeah. uh, uh, Shannon's uh, uh, comment about the... Do you want to ask um, Give me one second. Beth? Yeah, Beth, I think, had posted twice, so please answer her question. All right, oh, well, sure. I'll answer Beth's question. Best question. I can't, I, I shouldn't get hooked on the chat. It's too hard to, for me to speak. <laughs> I've got my moderator curators. Go ahead, Beth. Go ahead. I, so I'm sp I'm going to speak on behalf of the mother of teenage boys and yes, yes. This, this wave two of this safe stay at home order is really hard to understand. You know, their, their social experience has been limited for so long and they're itching to be themselves and right. video games right. are not going to cut it. They're done with the video games. And yep. it how, just old feels a little how old are you? How old are your boys? I have 16 and 14. Um, eighth gra eighth anybody... grade and sophomore year. Do you have anybody in the family who's at uh, 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 serious health risk? No. If so if they bring home COVID, uh, 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 they're not going to bump off somebody in the family? Not in our household. We have grandparents, you know, 80-year-old grandparents, but um, that we would, you know, we see them outside or on occasion, not okay. as often the as boy, The boys are not a threat to them. No. Can they, can they, and because they're already on remote, now that they're they're in a remote learning situation hybrid that's going to remote because the schools are struggling with the staffing levels and um as it's spreading you know it's most of the spread is outside of school then it may be oh, yeah. the oh, future, every, you know so it, every it, week to week it's been remote um, we're going i'm going on week five of remote in my own home Okay, so I'm at a boys' school, and all of our boys want to be playing sports, and all of yes. our boys want to be seeing each other outside, and they are very impatient. And um, and there's some parents who can't say no. We had a boy recently whose parents got him a ticket and flew him halfway across the country so he could visit his girlfriend in her college dorm, and he came back with COVID. <laughs> uh, okay, and his parents should have said no and not bought him that ticket because he came back and blessedly they, he tested positive and didn't come into school, but he had to be quarantined. He missed 14 days of school right? Uh, for his little John to see his girlfriend in her college dorm. It may have been worth it to him. I, 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 I don't know. But mm -hmm. the kids who have brought their schools to a screeching halt have not been popular with other kids. Right. Um, uh, the kids who don't follow the rules have uh, sometimes a, 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 a really negative impact on their community. So if your boys are, are straining at the, uh, the boundaries and limits that you put on them, and you're feeling that you may not be able to maintain control, they're literally gonna go out the window, the door or the window. Uh, can you negotiate with them to see friends whose Health whose family's health practices are ones that you respect and and uh, uh, think of as safe. Sure, and they're they're not walking out the door on me. It's just you know, it's just feels so dreadful this constant churn of. Uh, the, it's a you know that my my sixteen year old is at all, all all boys program, so it's it's you know the same thing. The no spring sport happened, and it, he's just he's dreading the shutdown. Like I don't know if I'm going to play again this year. Like I, I can't know. believe this. And you you have Beth, you have to name their sacrifices 
You have to name their losses and you have to grieve it with them. Mm-hmm. I've got a whole, I've got 440 boys grieving their sports at my school. Right. And then I have boys who are going off and playing an ice hockey tournaments out of state and coming back with COVID. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and we can't let them come back into school. Uh, so that, I mean, there are serious trade-offs. Or if they come back in school and they don't tell us where they've been, then they, then they might infect somebody else. And then a whole group of boys have to be quarantined for 14 days. I mean, this is not messing around. So let me, let me point out this, Beth, that young men just a little bit older than your boys have fought in armies, right? They have fought in wars and they have followed commands and they have been in trenches and they've been in dangerous situations and they have had to adhere um, to the, the, the rules to save everybody's lives. And, and you, there are two things you need to do. One is to say to your boys, I wish this weren't true for you. I wish you didn't have to give up these things you've had to give up. It's not fair. It's not right. And also you can do it. Great. And young men in wartime have done it. Mm-hmm. And this is as close to wartime um, as I've experienced in the last 30 years. How about you? It, it feels to me like we're living in a war zone. And I would put it in those terms to them. Mm-hmm. Because they do have to rise to the occasion. You hate to ask them to do it. You wish you didn't have to, but they have to rise to the occasion. Thank you. Sure. All right, Shannon, you get the last, last call for the question. All right. (laughs) Well, it hardly has the gravitas of going to war when you're 18, but, um, which is awful to think about, but so we are not TV people during the week. Our rule is no TV on school days. Yep. Um, and generally on the weekends, it's like, you know, a couple of shows each day and then they, they've got, they have their fill or like movie night, whatever. But during homeschool, my husband works full time. I am a full time work at home parent. And, um, I need, there, there were just times during the day where they needed to be passive and like, it was cold outside and there was like, we'd done all the bike rides and all the stuff and they've been in the dirt. And so I'm really asking selfishly because my husband is like s- still at that point, he'll like pop out of his office and be like, why are they watching TV? I'm like, because I'm going to jump off a bridge if they don't watch. <laughs> I need to take a, yeah. I'm like, I need to take a shower and I don't want them to be like destroying the kitchen. I'm sorry. Yeah. This is how, how old are you? How old are your boys, Shannon? They're girl, both girls, but both they girls. are um, four and a half and six and a half. Okay. So, back in spring it was like preschool and kindergarten but and they did great and msd has been fantastic and going to get the packets every monday morning was like part of our routine it was like yeah. the outing yeah. but and i've also heard i think it was the book glow kids talked about interactive screens versus passive screens and to me i'm old school i'm like i don't care if they watch daniel tiger yeah. um my six-year-old's not that interested i'd rather they do that than like play with a screen that's like giving them the dopamine you know interactive thing but how like 
if we go virtual again, is it like the worst thing in the world if they watch a couple shows a day? Like, it's not the worst thing in the world. And everybody around the world is doing it. Everybody. (laughs) Everybody's become a slacker parent and is watching, allowing their kids more screen time than they believe they should. Okay. It's how we're getting through this thing. Are you what? Are, are are you and husband uh, 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 binging on shows at all? And, are you and I, what? Now I am because the crown is back. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, we all have our we all have our addictions, right? Yeah. All right. My wife and I watched seventy-two episodes of A Place to Call Home, the Australian. Downton Abbey. Oh my God, 72 episodes. It was wonderful. Look, everybody is turning (laughs) to their screens, both for work and recreation. And you just have to forgive yourself. You are not, this is what I was talking to Dr. Rich, uh, uh, Michael Rich about, the mediatrician. He's not worried that we're going to have a generation of screen addicts. As soon as kids can be with each other and play with each other and play sports and be outside, they're going to want to be doing that, and screens will go back into their rightful place, and families can reinstate their rules. But for right now, there's more screen time for kids. Thank Everybody, you. Uh, no, Shannon, look at the screen for a second. Everybody, wave your hand if you're letting your kids watch. Oh, I have very few people uh, on camera now. Wave your hand if you're letting your kids uh, uh, do a little too much a screen time. Does that give you some support, Shannon? (laughs) (laughs) Everybody should take some support by that. I'm sorry, you cannot be a perfect parent in in a pandemic. That's my bottom line. Julie, I think we did it. You did it. You had one great comment in the end. I just want to say men's daughter, Katie, um, gives you a thumbs up on your comment on screen time. So she I got the approval of a six-year-old. All yep. right. Yep. All yep. Right. The highest compliment of them all. Well, I want to thank you for your time. And once again, um, thank our donors for making this evening possible and all of you yep. guys for your time. And Michael, this was amazing. And don't you guys feel better? I told you guys you would feel better. Do you feel better? Yes, I'm you all. Glad. I'm glad. Well, it was fun to be with you. And I, I'm, if I could be reassuring, I meant to be. And so I'm glad. Stay safe. And I wish, Alan, that there's an end to this very very soon. (laughs) So do do your girls. All right. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good rest of the night. Thanks a million. Good night, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Montessori School of Denver Community Podcast Series. For more information about the Montessori School of Denver and a Montessori education, visit us at www.montessoridenver.org.